welcome to this conversation presented by White House Custom Color. I'm Jed Toffer. Thanks for listening. You know, my wife Vicki and I have owned and operated our photography studio, V Gallery, for 20 years now. White House has been our lab for the last 16 of those years, and we could not be happier. White House is a family-run business, just like ours. If you haven't already, check them out at whcc.com. And if you want to drop me a line, feel free to email me at jed at whcc.com. For years, I've heard people in the photography industry tell my wife that they wish they had a Jed. By that, they mean that it would be nice to have some built-in support to help them with various tasks, such as workflow systems and marketing strategies, pricing structures, Photoshop techniques, and the like. And I get where they're coming from. Many people have to take care of that stuff on their own. Which brings me to Craig Swanson. You may not recognize his name right away, but Craig is responsible for thousands of hours of education and supportive content all in the past decade alone. His passion is helping creatives excel at their passion. He considers himself somewhat of an outsider, and that may be the case, but I'm here to tell you this is one outsider who's on your side. Okay. I mean, I've been responsible for, God, I don't know how many thousands of hours of photography education. Mm-hmm. Um, I am probably one of the most highly educated non-photographers in the art of photography that you're going to run into. Right. Um, right. And you know, it's funny, I actually, one of my, uh, our, our TD from, from the original Creative Live crew, so uh-huh. the, the person that basically watches every course and was switching between different cameras, right. is also a non-photographer, Adam. Yes. And we were talking about this together. And he was at a friend's house, and they're having a problem with, the, with their camera, with the focus and everything. And he just like took it and started fiddling around, just basically fixing all that. And he doesn't—he's not a photographer. He never <laughs> takes photos, but he, like me, has watched thousands of hours of the best photography yes. education that yeah. we can find. Right. Um, but I'll tell you what. There's a little tip that I ran into when people hand me a camera. Something that has never been taught in most of the classes that I've been involved in, where the on button is. <laughs> It's one of those little things. Um, yeah, so I have I have this encyclopedic knowledge of um, focal lengths and of you know like like of how you diagram out certain information in order to be able to describe. Um, oh, what's most of my favorite ones? I was I was looking at. I remember the very first course that uh, that Zach Arias taught, mm-hmm. and for me. That was the very first photography course that I really ever got exposed to off-camera flash in any form whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so that was, at that point, I had been involved in 20 or 30 hours of photographic mm-hmm. education. You know, now, gosh, nearly a decade later, <laughs> um, Every genre, every form, like I, 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 I know all of these people. I know all the different skills. I've evaluated all these different instructors. How does that happen? How, how does a non-photographer get so deep into an industry of which he's not? Because photographers talk about passion a lot. Mm-hmm. Right? This is my passion. Like I can't imagine doing anything else. Like you've heard it. I've heard mm-hmm. it. And neither one of us are a photographer. So. Mm-hmm. I understand passion, but I don't understand. I don't. The passion for photography doesn't resonate for me in that same way. So, how does somebody like you get so far into an industry and and and, and get so res- get responsible for so much content 
in something that he doesn't do. So in general, I have always been an outsider in whatever industry I'm supporting, but I've spent my entire career supporting creatives. Um, I, I use a little bit of an example of where just where I came from. Um, my father was a nuclear uh, nuclear chemist. Oh. Um, he worked at Los Alamos Laboratories. Um, and my mother was effectively a hippie. I, 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 I went to preschool and, and early schooling in a in a teepee and was learning intersocial communication. This is all in uh, New Mexico? It's all in New Mexico. Okay. And I like to think that basically this is how I've reconciled those two forces in my life. Really interesting. Is I basically have spent my career being the left brain support for right brain professionals. Okay. Being the the technical support, the 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 business support, the structural support, building structural foundations that allow creative artists to flourish. And they need that so much. Yeah. So most of my career was spent with graphic designers, ad agencies, yeah. videographers and photographers. Yep. From a business standpoint and uh, business computers Early days when technology was first coming in, you know, I, I was teaching people the very first version of Photoshop and mm -hmm. dealing with all the issues around that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always been from the standpoint of helping create structural foundations that allow creative professionals to lead a sustainable life. Mm. So you talk about passion. Mm -hmm. For me, my passion comes from allowing people to unlock a sustainable life around their passion. Okay. Your and, passion is helping other people with their passion. And passion, so, and, and I guess specifically passion around creative industries. I mean, right. I, I, I specifically. think... Specifically, right. I'm sure that there are, are passionate accountants that right. I might get a similar charge from, but <laughs> but I've never been exposed to that yet. <laughs> that's, that's what's <laughs> next. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So in the very early days, I was supporting graphic designers in the transition yeah. from uh, from typography houses to mm -hmm. having the early copies of um, Adobe PageMaker or Quark um, to the early transition to color. Um, I, I traveled around, and when I was 21, I spent a year traveling as a consultant for for Kodak that really? had yeah they, they had they had this system called the Kodak Prophecy System. It was one of the very early um, uh, color scanners and color separation systems that were digital that were trying to like come into the market. And frankly, it was terrible. Well, I, <laughs> okay, I believe um, you. And what they needed in order to make the in order to be able to complete the cycle was all of the computer knowledge and how you use the desktop processing software in order to be able to make the scanning system and everything else work together sure. and build output. So I spent a lot of time working with, with print houses and uh, have a lot of background in graphic design and print. So I've been surrounded by things that photography is a feeder into. Right, right. Um, I just, I'm not a photographer myself. Right, right. So mm -hmm. then how did that, how did you go from there to further into the photography industry? So it's actually, it all kind of aligns with what was happening in business at the time. So mm -hmm. I had an IT company in Seattle, mm -hmm. and we were supporting local design agencies, um, ad agencies, um, photography houses, video production houses, and such. And over about 20 years of doing that work, I've slowly moved from being an independent 
where it was just me. And then I had my first couple contractors and then I had employees. Mm-hmm. I got it to a point where it was running pretty well without me. It got to the place where if I oh. didn't show up, oh. the work got done. Things still happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that intentional? It, or did that just kind of happen? No. It, it, well, it was intentional and it was lucky and it okay. took a lot of work. Okay. Right. Um, so in, in every th- in every seven years of, of I can track it back. Basically, first seven years it was just me. Yeah. Second seven years it was me struggling to figure out how to hire employees, right. and I was a terrible, terrible boss, and I didn't want to hire employees, and I was not good at like handing over responsibility. And I would say in the last seven years of that twenty-one year cycle, yeah. um, it was me really turning over the engine of that business I to the see. employees. In I fact, see. in fact that company Creative Tech is still running. The the employees purchased it from me. Is that right? When I when I spun off and um, launched Creative Live right. with Chase. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So that's still going. Yeah, it's still going. In fact, I, I was looking at this pretty much most of the companies that I have been involved in starting are still going. Really? Um, That's testament to you. Uh, it's well to a part, you know. Yeah. The, it, it's a testament to a lot of things, right? But um, I am, I like creating systems that can become bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what ended up happening? What got me into photography and everything else is. Um, we were doing Photoshop training, uh, Adobe product training. Right. Um, I had created basically a training company inside of my IT company mm-hmm. because all of our clients were creatives. Mm-hmm. And the analogy I used is a lot of business owners, when they reach a certain period of success, like they'll buy a boat. <laughs> okay. Um, instead of me buying a boat, I basically poured that money into a a very expensive and not profitable at all training division within my central company, within, within Creative Text. Okay. Um, and basically spent two years, <laughs> we made no money. It, was, it, would, it, it, it supported, it, it made our clients really happy. Right. And, it was, and we were able to play with a lot of ideas mm-hmm. and a lot of the concepts that eventually became like the foundation of what Creative Live grew out of were, were birthed there. Mm-hmm. But in that kind of incubator status within my old company, mm-hmm. it was not really successful. Okay. And it really didn't become successful until the financial crash of around 2008. Okay. When all of a sudden, what was once a, a, a very successful IT company could continue to be financially successful, right. but it couldn't afford to pay a do-nothing executive <laughs> With a expensive education hobby, <laughs> I love it. Um, how much? How much did? How much did you have to wait for certain things technologically to come up to speed with what you wanted? With what ended up happening and what maybe what you wanted to do? Like, oh, okay, so we couldn't do things. Oh, it was so okay. So first of all, we started okay, okay. So during the two years yeah. that that I was just trying to come up with different different modes of doing education. Mm-hmm. We were we the, we were breaking education into smaller pieces. We were like right. we were we were doing in-person workshops. Sure. We started doing some some webinars. We we just basically were cycling through all these different ways of doing this. And I was doing this with a friend of mine Jason Hoppy that is a really fantastic instructor. Yeah. Um and he was like the first instructor that that launched what became Creative Live. Sure. Um and 
Yeah, the technology was just coming there. You know, webinars were just coming into play. What? Right. And we were using GoToWebinar uh-huh. as this uh, as this sharing tool for screen sharing. Mm-hmm. And GoToWebinar had this 1,000-person limit. I remember. Yes. Which I always assumed... <laughs> I assumed it was a purely a marketing limit. I, I, I seriously, I thought, I thought, who would have a 1,000-person webinar? You didn't think it was real. I didn't think it was real. I didn't think it was real. <laughs> and then we did kind of in this Hail Mary pass where basically like my, my hobby was coming to an end. I'd been mm. two years of building out all mm. this technology and all this way of doing education. Um, we launched pretty much as, as, a, as a Hail Mary pass the, the 10-day Photoshop or the 10-week Photoshop course. We're basically we're giving away for free, okay. Ten week course for for free, and then we basically figured if if we're going to go out, we're going to at least go out having shown this to as many people as we can. Go out with a bang, and <laughs> two things happened <laughs> on that first day uh, because I had a large mailing list that I had been building up over time. On that first day when we did our free Photoshop course, our thousand person limit was hit within three minutes of going live. Right away. Right away. And that was the first moment that I realized that the thousand person limit was actually <laughs> real. <laughs> this is, oh, this is not just a marketing. So point. that that became the first really major limit that I had. Oh my God, I can't provide free training for more than a thousand people at a time. Right. And uh, so that first 10-week experiment, which if you go back and actually, we, we have archives of it, but if you actually watch that, most of the business model of Creative Live is in a very early prototype stage in that. Basically, give it away for free, and if it's good, enough people will want to purchase it for ongoing access right. forever. Like the concepts are there. Exactly. The concepts are out. there, and it made more money. It made more money in that 10-week period than anything I had done in total over the last two years with my with my experimental <laughs> business. So, so were you... Th- you had to be thinking to yourself, ooh, I'm on to something here. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, actually, I, I think I'm on to something here. Right. Um, and then what happened is on, on week two, we started up our webinar early and told people. And so actually it got earlier, like the thousand person limit got hit early and earlier and earlier every week. So like the first week, the, two, the thousand person limit got hit like, like five minutes into the broadcast. What happens when it gets hit? The other people just are locked out? They just locked out. They can't get in. They so st- you do have a thousand people that, that it moves on. Yeah, Normally. and then you just get a bunch of people emailing you and complaining. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I had no idea. I mean, yeah. I remember that thousand person limit, but mm-hmm. I never knew. I was never in a position to know what would happen. And I started emailing them, and and yeah. So so then we did our second. We 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 let the dust settle after mm-hmm. this, and we we looked at this. And what happened is, so that was, I think, in 2009, and there became this shift within my company where all of a sudden the education company started carrying right. the rest of the IT company sure. during this time of just distress right. within the industry. Of course. Yeah. Because um, that was rough for a while. It, it was rough. And, and yeah. especially if you were a designer or yes. a photographer, like our, our clients were in great distress. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. It was it was a it was a really tough time. Yeah. It was also a really good time educationally to be in business. I mean, yeah. I mean there is there are these moments in time that help entrepreneurs and business owners become better. Right. And launching in a down market or experiencing a down market, I think, is one of the signs of someone that's going to be in business long term versus someone who only knows how to succeed. Well, because you have you have to. Yeah. Or you're not going to make it. Well, you don't have to. I mean, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of alternatives to succeeding. Well. <laughs> Well, I'm talking yeah. about succeeding, <laughs> right? Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so that's a sen- that was essentially the birth of 
creative life. Yeah, so and I, and I was uh, talking to Chase about what that, you know, like the results that were happening in there. Right. And um, we we spun up another course on Illustrator and got similar results and basically started saying, hey, this might be a repeatable system. There's something here. And um, and then Chase brought in Zach Arias and a couple others, Vincent LaFerrey, and basically... Um, we got some big names right away. Yeah, that, that, that's all Chase. That's all Chase. In fact, I didn't know... I didn't know anything. Well, I, you I, wouldn't I, know who those people were. I wouldn't know who the people were. Right. I didn't know really what 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 photography education looked like. How did you know Chase to begin with? He was a client of mine. For, he was a for, client for, of yours for, for probably for... about a decade. Okay. So you could because he has you know he had a huge server you know like like Chase's Chase is, is cutting edge and yeah. you know we were we were supporting right. him. You had a lot of really nice stars aligned there mm -hmm. for you. Like you being one of them. Honestly. It was it was it was lucky. We were you know, there are a couple hot spots. Seattle was one of the hot spots yeah. with Aldis and Adobe and and a lot of technology, right? And uh, incredibly fortunate. So uh, as technology over the years has grown and increased and just exponentially helped us to get to where we are really today, education, online education in particular, has been a big deal right and so mm -hmm. you with your passion of helping other people with their passion especially creatives this is like a big sandbox for you isn't it like is that fair to say like you're the potential for what you can do based on what you love to do is enormous yeah, yeah. as evidenced by the way things have gone right because now you have these other endeavors yeah so so what we're doing now so digital product studio which is which is my company with with, right. with george and aaron right. yes. george fernakis and aaron anderson right um we basically um are a company that invests in launches and grows education platforms right. for for niche communities in really interesting creative areas mm -hmm. so i mean Sue Bryce education being one of the right. well, one of the big ones. Sure. Mm -hmm. What well, is the sky the limit? I mean, what? I you know I always I always feel like there is this three year window at which anything I know how to do right now is going to evaporate, um, or or just lose its value. So it is. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. It's becoming easier and easier for people to teach all sorts of things without having to go through the same filters that we had to go through before. Doesn't mean it's going to be good, though. No. And in fact, and, and, that's, in fact that's the big piece as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because I can go to YouTube and watch a lot of stuff for free. Everything, I, I, everything we have ever taught or been involved in teaching, the information itself can be had for a properly worded Google search. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But you got to know that. You got to know that. And also, information is only part of the equation. Okay. Um, and, and for me, I think, well, actually, I mean, so there's actually a little bit of background that helps kind of explain kind of my mindset for okay. creating education um, that, that a lot of people that know me know, but, but it might not... Let me think about how to how to say this. <laughs> I'm so, intrigued. <laughs> so, one of the really important parts of my personal story is my daughter Pepper. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter Pepper was born with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. We were prenatally diagnosed, mm. um, and and it was it was a a really tough pregnancy. Yeah, with that knowledge and figuring out what life was going to be. Yes, sir. That. 
the process of becoming Pepper's dad, as soon as she was born, I stopped working Fridays. As soon as she was born, we had a really honest conversation between my wife and I about the business. And the business, which had been my baby for all of my life, was no longer my baby because I had a real baby. Yeah. And that started to transform my relationship with the business where it could grow to the next level, where it could actually rely on the employees. Okay. So that was part of me becoming free to be able to make things that are bigger. And then the other part is I became deeply enmeshed in special needs education okay. for for many years, for many years. We, we were lucky to have an amazing education program that we were part of. And um, so while Pepper was going through the special program, she was intermixed with children with autism and, yeah. and other children. And watching how those teachers worked with those children remapped my own internal understanding of how education works. And in a lot of ways, I everything that I've created since then through Creative Live, through what I was doing at Creative Text previously, and now with Digital Product Studio and, and anything else that we're involved in, kind of like harkens back to a lot of the lessons I learned from being around special needs education. Mm. Mm. In a lot of ways, um, so education for me and learning for me is not about information because information is free information is everywhere and information doesn't change lives not not as a general rule okay people need context and purpose and connection Mm. to make that information into something that they can weave into the story of their life okay yep and the way that I watch children with autism being taught mm. is that all the education that was focused on was basically focused on teaching social cues and creating an explicit understanding of the social structure so that those kids knew how to go to the next step. Yeah. And I started to see in the world of online education, I see the viewership as similar to an autistic learner. Okay. The the viewer of our courses can only pick up social cues that we make explicit. Right. They they can't feel the emotion in the room unless we work to make the emotion in the room feel. Right, because they're not there. They're not there. There's all these things, right. and this is probably the biggest weakness I see with people trying to make the transition from in-person education to right. online education. Right. Is when you are teaching in a room with 10 people, you have all this interpersonal information that's available to you Mm -hmm. and the best teachers of small group education and by the way like some of the best education happens in that type of environment sure i agreed those same skills yeah without someone to translate them don't work on online yeah because the social cues do not get communicated to an online audience Mm -hmm. unless someone is working hard to make it present to make it so right exactly so that means um that means, you know, it, it, mean, it means everything. It means everything. In, in early days, um, you know, like the, 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 classic, the classic thing that you teach any new, new speaker is repeat the audience's question. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and that is an incredibly foreign thing for a new speaker to do. Yeah. You know, when someone asks something, right. to repeat the question back and then to answer it. Right. It's not your first. It's not what you first think to do. It's exactly. Like a, it's like a learned, and and it thing. feels foreign. It feels foreign right. and weird in the mouth of the person who's new. <laughs> right. To that. Right. Right. 
There's another step beyond that, which is to repeat the emotional context to the question. Okay, what does that so mean? If, for example, somebody asks a question and nobody is there to hear it, to repeat the question by also acknowledging the emotional and social context of what's ever happening. I notice you, your, your body is a little bit tense as you ask me how this okay. is happening. Okay, got it. I see you scratching your head as got you ask it. this. Right. Using words to be able to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this was more important in the days when we only had a webinar to do it. You know, right. now, now we've got, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of video gear so right. I can make sure that we've got a technical director that's, that's pushing into different things. That's on top of it and they can see that and um, that can be conveyed. Sure. But I would say like the biggest thing that I bring to the productions that we're involved in is I'm constantly trying to make sure that somebody who is sitting at home feels connected to whatever we're doing. It makes so much sense to me, A, what you're saying is resonating, but it also makes so much sense to me why for you that's a thing mm-hmm. experience experiencing what you have in the in the education system i'm not i don't want to over maybe maybe um the, the, i use two touch points for me when i'm when i'm talking with potential new instructors uh-huh. one is one is especially if they have any experience working with kids with autism a little bit of a touch point of being able to learn how to not assume that the other party can read your mind, but actually be able to start to speak into the emotion and the context of what's happening. Right, right. And then the other, the other context I use, the other example I use is Bob Newhart. Okay, I know Bob. So, I mean, I know who he is. Yeah, Bob Newhart. So if you've ever seen like an old stand-up routine with Bob Newhart, mm-hmm. and this was a especially important in the early days mm-hmm. when we were doing webinars, where basically you had a a postage stamp size video and you had whatever the mic of the instructor was picking up. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Bob Newhart would do these routines where he would stand alone on a stage mimicking that he is talking into a phone call and we only heard his side of the phone call. Okay. And the entire experience would be brought to life from his responding to what he is pretending he's hearing. You're not hearing the other person because they don't exist. Exactly. But you're getting, every, you're getting both sides of the conversation through one side. Exactly. Right. And if you actually like break down how those, how those routines are structured, nobody talks like that. But <laughs> it feels natural. And that's, and that's what a really that's good— That's the piece. That that's he was able to make it feel natural even though nobody like repeats things on the phone. Oh, so you're saying— Right. E- exactly. The, the, the ability in, a, in, a, in an online education context yeah. to make the other side of that conversation feel heard where they are completely muted unless you do something to surface them is the magic of great online education, in my opinion. I think you're right. And there's a lot of evidence to support that. Plus, everything you're saying like resonates as true. Like It makes sense to me. You know, a lot of people... So the, the comments I hear from people for from most of the education programs I've been involved in like I feel like we're really hitting it when there are when there are a lot of comments saying I feel like I'm there right and that's it but mm-hmm. I bet I'd be I'd, I'd be I'd wonder this I wonder if people could put their finger on it like all the things that you're saying like if they would say oh it's because of this 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 and this I have the sense that they'd be like I don't know why but I just feel like I'm in that room if we're doing it right and and it can be as simple as a lot of angles, uh, th- there's a lot that needs to be conveyed besides the education. You know, if you, if you look at what's happening here at the Portrait Masters right mm-hmm. now, you could get almost everything. I mean, honestly, we could give a transcript and the slide deck and we could actually convey all the information. I understand. Sure. 
Um, but the audience response, like when Lola Milani was shooting, yeah. the audience response when Lola is shooting yeah. is as important for me to the educational yes. process as as whatever is being conveyed on that stage. And, and I think that's also one of the big things for me in terms of building education platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the hero of the education platform is always the person sitting on the other side of that screen. Okay. And I think instinctively, most people in education make the instructor the hero. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Um, and for me, I have this, there is this, I, I will watch almost all the, all the events that we do, and I watch it from my computer, or I'll watch it on my iPhone walking around. Right. Because you want to experience it that way, the way that they do. I, the, way, the way they do, right. and, and honestly, the way I do. I'm, I'm, I'm very introverted. Okay. Um, so, you know, for, for example, you, you haven't seen me except once in this whole event. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And it was accidental. It, it was accidental. And I was, I was far away from the crowd. You were in the corner, ways away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I want to feel connected. Right. And so as I'm watching through, through my screen, if I feel like I am disconnected from what is being taught, I feel pain. Mm. And I feel pain on behalf of the audience. I understand. Sure. And so I'm constantly trying to make sure that they feel connected to whatever we do mm-hmm. because they, like, they are the ones that we need to respect. Like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mark of respect. It's a mark of, of who's responsible for making this thing possible. Sure. I, I, walk, I walk through the trade show and people are, are thanking me. Yeah. And, I mean... They are the hero of this. Mm-hmm. Like, like when I look at everything that makes Sue Bryce Education, this this conference that we're at, work, it is the community. Yeah. We we could do everything that we're doing technically, everything that we've done, we could do, and if these people didn't show up, mm-hmm. it would be nothing. Wouldn't happen. Um, and there is just this this kind of this. There, there's literally this like, this part of my brain that feels uncomfortable that feels on edge if we are not providing context and connection to the viewers. You have certainly done that many times over, mm-hmm. okay, in, in, in with different companies mm-hmm. and in different venues. You've accomplished a lot, in, in especially in a relative sense. What else do you want to do? I mean, are, is there something where you're like, I still want to do this? I haven't done this I love growing so I I think at each at each stage of my career I I am just now coming into what I think of as being my entrepreneurial career just now um within the last within the last three years okay fair enough so um not not saying so an entrepreneur for me is something different from a business owner okay I get that yeah uh, yep and and I'm coming into a phase where I'm an entrepreneur working with other entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and I'm building things with other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways, every three years, I am trying to build with whatever with, with whatever I was doing three years ago, that role becomes the input to what I'm building now. Okay. So when I first started in education, we were playing with the mechanisms of how to provide education in a slightly different 
format. This sure. is this, this were the, the the two or three years of kind of incubator where we were basically chopping up classes into smaller yeah. sections, figuring out how we could combine a live audience with a webinar audience, yeah. like all these different pieces. At Creative Live, we were looking at how we could effectively take a three day photography experience, mm-hmm. create a digital version of that, and then start to do that in scale, where we were doing it first once every two months, and they were doing once a month, and then we got down doing once a week. Well, and you refined the whole experience in the process. Exactly. As well. Exactly. At, at this point with Digital Product Studio, we're at the phase where George, Aaron, and I are effectively launching education companies right. at scale. Right. So we are creating not just the courses, but the entire company as an entity, as a business model, proving mm-hmm. out the concept, finding an audience, supporting that audience, and then growing that. Mm-hmm. And three years from now, four years from now, if I keep on the same track, I think that probably becomes working at some additional scale to that, where, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, one of the things one of the things I would really like to do is a Y Combinator for online educators where we bring in a batch of 30 really great educators and through a three to six month program, including a lot of support on the video, technical and educational side, basically allow a whole batch of people to create a whole new series of online engagements using the models and the mechanisms that we've been specializing in. Yeah, you can jump outside of this fear. I found it interesting uh, speaking with Sue earlier that she she seems to keep going to things from a conceptual standpoint that she kept saying applies across the board. Like mm-hmm. these things, these concepts, they apply to people. Yeah. They don't just apply to photographers or creatives, mm-hmm. you know, and creative live evolved in that same vein, mm-hmm. uh, very similarly, but you're talking about separate companies that then take that, that and just run with it. Like, so these things that we're teaching and these, these things that we're showing, they're not just for creatives and they're not just for photographers. They're for realtors. They're for chefs. They're for the construction industry, mm-hmm. whatever, what have you. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that the sky does seem like the limit there. And actually that is, that is the thing that we are starting to work on. George Aaron and I is basically, yeah. um, what is the next, right. You know, what is the next platform or several platforms? You know, what we, which, what are we going to launch next and who are we going to partner with next in terms of creating something really special? I like the fact that you guys have that attitude. Um, I think there's a danger in resting on your laurels. I think there's a danger in getting stuck in the rut of success, and you're not doing that. You're already looking to what what's next, and you have a fantastic team oh, to do, do it with you. Oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> it's amazing. It it really is. The, the team is absolutely phenomenal, and I've got to say. I mean, I don't even know who to credit. I've got to credit that. Like, a huge portion of that goes to Aaron. Yeah. Aaron Anderson. I mean, actually, I I guess to George and probably to me to some degree, too, um, because it's repeating. Like, we... This is this is not this is probably the best team we've ever worked with, yeah. but it's not the first incredible team that has come together to build these types of, course. of things. Of course, of um, course. And so, just the fact that Aaron has done it more than once makes me think that there is something he is doing about picking the right. Oh, people. Oh yeah, that's not yeah, it's and, not coincidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. tell you what, thank you for doing this with me. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time out because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot going on here, um, and I 
it, it, this has been a wonderful convention. We're here towards the end of the Portrait Masters 2018, just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And you taking the time to do this with me means a lot. Um, and so I appreciate it. And, and I'll be looking to see how the next endeavors go. I know that. I will too. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I think the next couple of years are going to be absolutely amazing. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. Thank you, Craig, and have a great evening.